Today, we're going to talk about this direction of connecting with God. And so you'll see the five different directions, the five different circles that have different sets of arrows on them. And as I go through, I'll talk about each one. It's just a way to sort of remember these. Tim, if you slide over to the next one, I think the, fi- the, the first direction is connect. And that's really where I want to continue today. We'll sort of see where this goes and what direction we go to next week. But this week is the connect direction. Connecting is about connecting with God. How do we connect with God? And I think what a great question for us to begin this journey with. How do I connect with God? This is true for anybody. Whether they're new to church, whether they're new to the way of Jesus, um, or whether you've been around a long time in either a faith community or you've been around a long time in your journey with Christ, there is this question, how do I connect with God? And sometimes, as you hear that, you may hear people say, well, um, maybe you've heard this before, like, I feel particularly close to God in this season. Maybe there have been moments of time, things that are going on in our life, people you've been connected to, ways that you've developed your faith, that you said, I feel particularly close to God in this moment. Maybe there are other times that God feels a little bit further away to you. And you said, I feel like I'm further than God than I was before. And I think what's true about that is no matter who we are, if you're a pastor, if, if you're a teacher, if you're a mom or a dad or a grandma, if you're just whoever you are, it does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're preaching and standing on a stage or if you're sitting and listening to the sermon today. All of us ask the question, how do I connect with God? And all of us have moments that we're a little bit back and wondering, how am I connected? Why do I feel so far away? Some of us have moments we feel closer. What draws that? Why is that? Why do we feel that particular way? So I hope today as we talk about this, um, I hope you learn like I do through this. Every time I come back to this, and I try to teach this about once a year because I think it's so critical, I always come away from it going, oh, I forgot so much. I can't believe that I forgot about that. And then I begin to think about the message. I begin to apply it, and I realize the grace and the mercy of God in a new and a fresh way. So I hope, I hope this is so helpful to you today. So how do we connect with God? Have you guys ever seen, um, I, I was going to have a picture, but I couldn't find a picture that looked good. Have you guys ever seen like a, the, the picture of like a mountaintop? On that mountaintop, um, typically with this picture, you may see a lot of different paths going up that mountaintop. And the way that we've talked about that is there, there is an idea that there, there is a mountain of God and there are many paths up that mountain that lead to God. And people have thought about this throughout history in different times. And I don't want to talk particularly about the philosophy or the theological understandings behind that. That's a whole different conversation. But I think that illustration is helpful to each and every one of us. Because I think what we tend to do is we tend to see this mountain. And we tend to put in these paths on this mountain all these different ways to get to God. And so we tend to put in there, let's say in our particular context, we think, well, if I would just maybe sing a little more, or if I would learn a little bit more scripture, or if I would just do this thing over here, and we sort of put these practices in place, if I do these things, if I would do this work, somehow I would be able to get up this mountain and I would be closer to God. We love the Tour de France at our house. We just watched the tour, and one of my favorite things, Emily just I, I'm not going to call you up, she, but you did just roll your eyes. But one of my favorite things, really? 
we watch the tour together and Emily and I sit and we watch these mountain stages and I'm normally smacking her and being like, look, 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 you have to see what's happening right now. One of my favorite things is when guys are suffering up the mountain because I feel like I worked out when I watch them. So it makes me feel better, right? But they're suffering trying to get up the mountain. They're absolutely in agony. The Christian faith, the way of Jesus, becoming closer to God, is about a rhythm of grace. It is about resting in the mercy and love of Jesus. It is not supposed to look like suffering work up the side of a mountain. And so today I want us to flip the script a little bit. I want us to see this idea that maybe sometimes what we do is we get this mountaintop and we think of all these different paths that I can get, that I can follow to get closer to God. And maybe we have it backwards. Maybe instead of about thinking about all the paths that I can do, all the things that I can do to get to God, what if instead I began to think about the path that God is coming down the mountain to me? With that in mind, listen to this scripture. This is at the very beginning uh, in the book of Genesis. And we see throughout scripture people connecting with God. And really, if you think about it, in a lot of ways, scripture is really the story of our relationship, our connection with God. But what I want you to see is that there's this awesome tension that happens in Scripture. It's so cool. You will see people who are trying desperately to do their work to scale the mountain. And then over and over and over again, particularly through Jesus, we are reminded that it is God coming down the mountain to us. That The story of Scripture is his invitation, his reach, his work coming to us. And so often we turn it around and we think, I have to do all the work. I have to do all this stuff. And what's crazy is that whole idea begins, we see it in the very beginning. So Genesis chapter three, two chapters in this shows up. Listen to this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some, some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Now, most of us have probably heard this story. Maybe we're familiar with this story in some way. Maybe for some of us, we sort of see like the flannel graph picture of this story or the cartoon of this story or the image that we have in maybe an illustrated Bible of this picture. But we have some kind of picture of this story in our minds. And maybe this is a place where we stop reading the story. We get to verse 7. We say, oh, this is cute. This is the story of Adam and Eve. This is where they find some clothes. And that seems like a really neat story. So maybe you're familiar with it in some ways. Well, some people may call it myth. Maybe it's poem. Others think of it literally. Um, I just want to stop us as we get into this story because it's easy for us to get the, the whole idea of this thing wrong. 
Some people argue and say, well, this really happened. There must be a garden somewhere in there. This is what actually took place in that garden. And Adam and Eve are these real people. And other people would look and say, well, that's ridiculous. That can't happen. That doesn't make any sense with science. And that, that doesn't really work. I will tell you that these were not the questions that the biblical authors nor the readers of these scriptures when they were first written or even told because they were oral traditions. These were not the questions that they were concerned with at all. The question was not, did this happen? The question was, why am I telling this story? So the first thing we have to do is we have to ask, why is someone telling this story? Why does this story matter? This story has all sorts of language of poetry. It has this this just fascinating cadence that this story is really about learning something, trying to glean something from this. So I just want to encourage you, don't get, don't get caught up in nonsense about what's happening with this. Is this true or not? The question is, what are they trying to teach us through this story? What is happening in this story? And we miss it if we stop right there. We miss it if we miss the point of this. We miss this if we get into arguments about the genre. The point is actually found in the next two verses of this, and I love this. Let's read on and find out why are they telling me this story? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. <laughs> like, first off, what an incredible verse. So first we have this word, then. So here's this situation that happens. Here's this, in this story that's being told, here's, here's what takes place. Here's this uh, realization, this, this um, incredibly existentially uh, significant moment of, I, I'm naked, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm hiding. I, 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 I don't know what's going on. Then. Don't miss this, this Then. Then something happens. Everything changed. Everything shifted in this moment. Everything stops. Then. Then it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a cool image and an idea. God was walking among his people. But look look what they did. Then they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So it seems like what they're telling us in this story is that there is this idea that God is walking among his people saying, hey, I want to be around you and with you and guide you and I want you to be a part of my story. Something gets broken, something gets shifted, something happens that causes this break in the story. All of a sudden these people look around and go, quick, let's hide. Let's hide, let's hide from God. I don't want God to see me like this. I don't want God to, to know what happened. I, maybe if we, if we just, maybe if we make these fig leaves and then if God sees us, it won't be a big mess as it could have been. Let's, let's just hide and, and we'll figure this out. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? I love that. Just let's sit on that just for a second. Because I think it's so powerful. Anytime that we see a question in Scripture, it gives us just a moment to pause. What's happening here? Again, why are they telling me this story? 
And why are they landing at this question? Where are you? And I just, I love to think about this picture. Again, listen to this. This oral tradition passed out in the very beginning. The people are like, okay, so what kind of God do you serve? Think about the culture. Think about the context. Think about the time. Think about people sitting down together, all different backgrounds, gathering together in some kind of trading city. Who is the God that you serve? What are the stories that you tell about your God? And somebody stands up and, well, my God is an angry God. My God is an angry God. And if I don't do these right things or I don't do this or that, like this is an angry God. And somebody goes, oh, that's, that's yeah, that's an interesting God. He says, well, well, tell me about your God. Let me tell you, let me tell you an origin story about my God. <laughs> let me tell you what my people tell me about my God. So the story of my God is that these people have this situation happen where they all of a sudden feel distanced. They feel like they are away from this God. They feel like this God is going to be wrathful and angry because they didn't listen to him. And then what's crazy is this story that they told us about this God was that this God didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. And what he was actually doing, he was just looking for them. He, this God said, where are you? Why, why are you hiding? Where are you at? And the person looks and says, that's an interesting God. I'd like to hear more about that God. So this passage makes me want to know, I want to know more about this God. Who is this God? Is this who God is like? Does this story help us to understand the God of where are you? And it does. Because this opens up the story of Scripture that tells the story of a God desiring to restore relationship with his creation. That begins with this story here and has everything to do with you and me and then everything to do with Jesus. This story is the very beginning of this idea of God coming to his people and saying, where are you? I want to restore relationship with you. As we follow that story, we track that story, it comes to the place of Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, again, walking among his people, inviting them to belong, to be a part of his kingdom, to be in his presence. Later on, we would read this passage in the book of Hebrews. Listen to what this says and what it has to do with this and how this all connects. This writer says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now, how in the world did we get from a garden and two people in a garden to all of a sudden this incredible language of imagery talking about the house of God, talking about a priest over the people, talking about a new way that is opened by Christ and his body that is a curtain. What is going on in all of this incredibly poetic language? And what does this have to do with the God who asked the people, where are you? What's happening here is this, this verse has this incredible imagery of this most holy place the house of God, this open curtain. Now, people who read this would have understood this language. It was familiar to them because it was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. As people tried to understand, to develop this relationship with God, 
as the faith traditions develop, we come to this section of time where there is this temple and there is this understanding of here's this God that we worship. But among this temple, in the, in the, in the actual design of this temple, is this, is this idea of, well, there is a place for God, there is a place for people, there is sort of a gray area that mixes where all of that takes place, but there is this absolute idea of separation. And so part of this separation was this curtain that divided off this place, closed off from everybody else, called the Holy the Holies, the most holy place where God's presence was found. So I want you to imagine this for a second. You kind of walk up the road of Jerusalem, climbing up this mountain. You come into the city. The temple is on this temple, again, this temple mount, representing the place where God's presence is found. You go into the first court, and everybody says, it's cool, you can come in here, this is fine. You go into the second court, and you get up to the doors, and there's sort of somebody waiting. Do you have the right pass? Can you get through here? No, you don't don't belong in this place. I'm sorry, you have to stay outside. Well, then from that place, you get to another gate, and then that gate, there's another place where somebody says, can you be in here or not? Can you get in this close to the presence of God? Well, now you're, you're out. You can't come into this place. So now our select few is down to a very small few. They come to the next place, and somebody says, can you come in? Are you allowed to go in here? Is this cool? Is this cool? Can I, can I walk through here? No. This is definitely closed off. In fact, there's a curtain here that divides because that is the place of God right there. And you are not to go into that place. That is the most holy of holies where God's presence is found. And so there is this idea that you are separated. You are further from it. And then something incredible happened. The, The context of this is now this temple, this idea of this separation. But the author of this passage, this book, is telling us, but through Jesus, you have access to this holy of holies. You, everybody, all of us. There's nobody checking the the gate anymore. There's nobody stopping you and saying you don't belong here. His, His presence is to be experienced by all. Now, where in the world would this author get this idea? Where would the author of this book get this idea that everybody could all of a sudden have access to God's presence? Well, there's a dramatic moment that's found in the book of Matthew. It actually talks about the physical tearing of the curtain that took place during Jesus' death. And it's this physical tearing of this curtain that this author is pointing us to here. He's saying because of what happened through Jesus... Because of Jesus' body, because of who he was, he is God with us. Because of what happened in his death, this, this curtain is now separated and open for all of us. Listen again. Now, let me, with that, all that context, can I, can I do this real quick? Because I want to do this for myself. With all that context, all that idea, listen again. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we do? Uh, this is news to me. This sounds great. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, who, Jesus, all of this sounds cool. I like where this is going. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings. 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Listen, my friends, I know that you have been hiding. I know you have tried to, to wrap things around you to hide the nakedness that you have because you're afraid of what God may think about who you are. I know that you're worried about climbing the mountain that on your own, that if I just do enough work, maybe God will listen to me, but I'll probably get halfway up and somebody will be like, yeah, you don't belong up here. But what this passage is saying, what he's saying to these people is, hey, nobody's in your way anymore. You should have confidence, he says, with me. Let's walk together, hand in hand, walking into the most holy place with all the audacity of someone who believes in grace and faith and love. I love the picture. I mean, I know this is imagery. This is all this sort of like crazy, sort of like the priest and the high mountain and all this language kind of makes us pause. And it it is beautiful language. But just the picture of it is just like, I'm walking in. And I don't care what you think because I deserve to be in the presence of God because of Jesus. Get out of my way. I love it. That is awesome. So what is this dramatic moment that makes this kind of audacity take place? Matthew 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, the rocks split. And the author of this passage is telling us that there is a physical reality that took place that has spiritual implications for every one of us, including you and me. The curtain was torn. And since we have going back to Hebrews, a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Another word is the word connect. The authors tell us to be the ones who move towards God. Now, this is fascinating. As I started to write this, I thought, wait a minute, this feels like it's contradicting what I already said. He's saying, let us draw near to God. But I thought I didn't have to do the work to move up the mountain. And then it all started to make sense. I started to wrestle with it a little bit, started to think about it a little bit. Isn't it God who is searching for us? Why is it now all of a sudden on us to do something? And this is where the beauty of all of this comes into focus, guys. God is the one doing the searching, the first moving the providing what we would refer to in theological terms as provenient grace. I had a friend who asked me this week, what does that word mean? What is, what is that about? And I was doing some theological study and looking at all of this and thinking about this. One way to describe this idea of God's first move, his provenient grace, is described as the Holy Spirit standing on the porch inviting us to come home and be with God where we have always longed to be. This God has prepared a sidewalk for us. He's opened the door. He's invited us in. And I love this picture because I think about this God. He has done the work. He was out there laying the path for you to that street. He's out there cleaning up the porch, getting it ready, opening the door, and he stands at the porch and says, hey, 
Come here. Where are you? Come home. And then we listen and we respond. He's invited us to come home, but we have to walk in. We have to enter. We move toward him. He will come near. Help us step through the door. This is so cool. And on the other side, we find a banquet, a party, a celebration of God's infinite love and grace for all of us. In the book of James, it's written like this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I don't think that's this, well, if you just climb up halfway the mountain, he'll meet you halfway. No, 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 no. The rest of Scripture is showing us the picture is this. He's at the door. He's saying, come, enter. Come here. Man, I love that. He's going to embrace me, welcome me. Hey, there's a party waiting here for you. I'm going to look around the porch and be like, is there anybody that's, is anybody stop me? Nobody's here. They're all inside. If they tried to stand here, he kicked them off the porch. It's pretty cool. Because <laughs> this is his house. It's his banquet. And he's invited every one of us in. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So when we talk about connecting with God, when you hear our connect value, I don't want you to think of, well, if I just pray more, if I sing louder, if I read the scriptures, if I meditate in quiet moments, is that what he's talking about? And I would say, yes, all those things do matter. We'll talk about that. But those are all responses. We have to start from a different place. The arrow starts pointing down towards us because it is God who comes down, welcomes us, and then we respond and connect to him. We have to begin with this idea that there is a God desperately searching, seeking and asking, where are you? Where are you? So would you start there with me? Would you, would you start there with me asking the question, understanding this, that God is asking, where are you? And how much would this change and how much does this impact the kind of church that we are going to be, the kind of church that we have been, the kind of church, let me rephrase that, the kind of church that we've been, the kind of church that we are, the kind of church that we are going to be. This is why I want to teach this over and over and over again. Because I want you to see in this value right here, everybody in, Christian, uh, in the Christian world can talk about connecting with God because this is a value that transcends all churches. We all are to connect with God. But how do we understand what this is about? How does this impact who we are as a church? It impacts us because when we turn that circle around, when we see that it is a God desperately searching for us saying, where are you? We understand that we are no longer the gatekeepers. We are no longer the people standing on the porch. We're not the ones who set out the path even, but we may join people on the path and grab their hands and walk them to Jesus and say, come with me into this house. I don't get to check credentials. I don't get to check licenses. I don't get to look and say, I don't know if you belong in here or not. It is God's banquet, and he has invited every single person into it. And it is our opportunity to say, come with me. Meet the God who says, where are you? The God of grace and love and mercy. Man, I want to walk with people boldly into his presence. 
What a cool opportunity we have. Wow. Let's pray. God, we are just so thankful that as we read the scripture, we are reminded over and over and over again of your infinite love and grace and mercy. God, as we come to this moment in this place, in this space, in this time, help us to see this value and what it means for each and every one of us to connect with you, to recognize that you are the God desperately reaching out to each and every one of us. And help us to respond and help us to be the church that lives like that. May we live in your peace, in the rhythms of your grace, recognizing, God, that you you want to give us rest. So may we rest in the promises that we find here in Scripture. And may we see your love and your grace and your mercy. Amen.